Good morning, good morning, good morning, Discover Church. Happy Memorial Day weekend to everybody. So good to see you. I'm glad you guys are coming to celebrate part of your Memorial Day weekend with us. I know that, uh, you know, the crowd is a little lighter than normal today. And I just got to tell you, um, most of the times a preacher is never excited to see less people in the room. Um, but can I tell you, it makes my heart feel good that there are some people that are prioritizing rest, they're prioritizing family, they're prioritizing spending some time to make some memories. And so listen, I am glad that the room is a little lighter today. That's one of the only times you'll ever hear a preacher say that. Um, but I know that we've got a lot of people that are tuning in online. Listen, would you put your hands together and welcome everybody tuning in online. We're glad you're with us. And uh, man, super thankful to celebrate Memorial Day weekend. And I want to encourage you, uh, regardless of uh, whether or not you have a loved one that has ever served in the military, I would encourage you tomorrow, take a moment, spend a little bit of time just thinking about being grateful to the Lord for the country that we live in. Um, we could live, God could have birthed you into any country, but for whatever reason, uh, he birthed you here, allowed you to come in here. And there's a lot of people that have fought and died and paid the ultimate sacrifice and if you get an opportunity, if you know uh, a family who has lost a, uh, a loved one in service to their country, just reach out to them. Let them know that you're mindful of them. Let them know that you're thankful for them. Um, and make sure that we take some time to be thankful for what God has done in allowing us to live where we live. Before we jump into the message today, I want to tell you about something really fun that we're going to start next week. One of the things that's kind of become a little bit of a rhythm for us in the summer is uh, we, we, we take the summertime to, uh, to get our, our deep sea diving gear and we jump into the deep things of God's word. And so we, we unpack a section of scripture and we dive in and we, we learn the different nuances of it. And we're going to begin that starting next week with a brand new message series called By Faith. And what we're going to do is this, is we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 11 that records for us what a lot of people call the hall of faith um, in, of the Bible. And we're going to use Hebrews 11 as a springboard to jump into the Old Testament and begin to unpack some things in the Old Testament about these lives, these people who were real people that lived in real times, went through real hardship and real difficulty. And many of them saw incredible things that God did in and through them. And what we're going to learn is, is through their life through their situation, that the solution to overcoming obstacles, to getting through hardships and experiencing joy was the same solution for them then as it is for us now. And the solution is by faith. And so we're going to be diving into that starting next week. So whatever your process looks like when you're getting ready to take notes um, and deeper study of God's word, come ready to dive into that next Week. Today, we're going to be coming across the finish line of our series called Dangerous Prayers. And what we've been reminded of is that following Jesus was never intended to be. Lord, I feel so blessed and encouraged in this moment. Thank you, Jesus. That following Jesus never intended to be safe. Safe. Can you buy a vow? Thank you. Thank you. And so we're crossing the finish line in our series. And I have to tell you, I have saved the most dangerous prayer for last. And this is a prayer that is remarkably 
dangerous. Let me tell you why it's dangerous, because this prayer, more than any other of the other prayers of what we've covered, flies in the face in violent opposition to what has become in many corners of American Christianity, the societal norm, the cultural norm of how many of us in American Christianity live. It, it goes in opposition to a lot of the, um, the preaching that oftentimes tickles people's ears and makes people feel good. And sometimes it's the kind of preaching that um, can draw a whole lot of people into a room, but doesn't necessarily lead to a whole lot of transformation in their lives. And I'm not criticizing other churches. I'm just telling you that this prayer this is not the name it and claim it, make me feel good. God, give me money, give me power, give me fame, give me influence, give me more followers on social media. This is not one of those prayers. And every message that I've preached in this series, I've given you a warning, and here it is, warning, this prayer is going to hurt. Don't pray this prayer if you are completely allergic to pain. What is this prayer? I mean, you're all waiting with bated breath. Sweet, I love pain. The prayer that we're gonna be studying today is called break my heart. Break my heart, God. Can I tell you, when you pray this prayer, I wanna encourage you, um, be careful when you pray this prayer. Because sometimes what can happen is you hear the title of this message and you hear the prayer that we're gonna be talking about and you might be me prone to think that what we're talking about is the kind of stuff that makes you feel sad. I'm not talking about the kind of stuff that makes you feel sad. I'm talking about the kind of stuff that breaks you. What's the difference? How many of you have ever seen the, uh, the ASPCA commercial with like the dogs and the Sarah McLaughlin song? In the arms of an angel. I can't believe they've never asked me to sing that song on the commercial. I could, I, it could only help, right? But you know, you know the commercial I'm talking about? Like some of you don't ever watch TV and good for you. Um, right, it's like the saddest commercial. Like they show one sad dog and another sad pet, another sad pet. And it, it is sad. And they're talking about a sad thing about pets that have been, you know, they're in a bad situation. Maybe they've been abused or something like that. And, and, and the whole point of the commercial really is to get you to feel sad, to get you to feel bad so that you'll call the number and you'll give them five bucks because that's really going to make a difference. Um, sadness is maybe the feeling that you get when you pull up to an intersection. You see um, a person that is uh, holding up a sign, you know, I'm homeless, you know, need food, money, whatever, right? And the sadness is the feeling that you feel when you go, oh my goodness. Some of you actually look at them in the eyes and others of you like, nope, look at look away. And some of you reach for the loose change in your cup holder and you go, here you go, man. Here you go, ma'am. Be blessed. But here's the deal. That feeling of emotion doesn't stick with you because when the game comes back on, you're not thinking about the dogs anymore. When the show comes back on, like Sarah McLaughlin's done, went for a hike. When the light changes, you're on, going, you're on your way and now you're complaining about how you're late for your lunch appointment. What God wants to talk to us today about is, is not something that caused you to feel sad. It's something that caused you to feel broken. 
And it's kind of brokenness. It's a feeling that you can't really shake off. It's a feeling that causes you to, to, to have this pain and this misery. It's the kind of feeling that causes you to lose sleep at night. It's the, it's the feeling that you can't really shake off with a good night's rest and, and maybe a, a good meal. It's the kind of feeling that just lingers with you. It stays with you. And you can't ever seem to be able to just kind of shake it off and get past it. And that's what we're going to be learning about today. And we're going to be learning about it in the book of Jeremiah. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Jeremiah chapter eight, we'll be there in just a second. Let me provide a little context for you. Jeremiah is one of the most famous prophets in the Old Testament. He's one of the most famous prophets of Jewish history. And he has a rather unfortunate nickname. Um, He is often referred to as the weeping prophet. Now, perhaps there's a lot of nicknames that you might want in life. But if you're a teacher, I'm certain that you don't perhaps want your students to go home at the end of the school year and go, oh, mommy, we're so glad we're done. We're finally moving past the weeping teacher. Or perhaps you work at a bank and you approve loans. And they go and they say, man, we got a great deal. Where'd you get it from the weeping banker? I don't know. There's just something about it. Like if you're going to associate a nickname for me, Maybe it's because I'm a guy, I don't know. But if you were ever to describe your pastor to other people who don't go to church, it would be my preference that you wouldn't refer to me as, oh, we go to that church with the weeping pastor. But Jeremiah is referred to as the weeping prophet. And he gets that nickname because much of his writings, what he records for us in his book that bears his name, um, yes, talks about some of the things that God told him to say and some of the things going on with the people, the Jewish people and what they were doing. But a lot of the book of Jeremiah also records for us the feels that Jeremiah had through the journey. Such is the case over and over and over again because Jeremiah is in anguish He's in pain. He's in misery over the condition of his people, the Jewish people. And God has identified him and called him and commissioned him to serve as his spokesman to the Jewish people during this season. And and Jeremiah keeps telling them to repent and turn away from their sins. You see, they had begun to follow other gods. They were worshiping other gods and they were so entrenched. They were so um, uh, uh, enthralled with these other gods, these false gods, these idols, that they would commit acts of worship that were obscene and violent and grotesque all the way up to the point of including live human sacrifices as a part of the worship to these false gods. And Jeremiah is seeing what his people are doing. He's seeing what God's people are doing. And he is angry. He's upset. He's broken because time and time and time again, he brings the message of God to God's people. And he says, repent, turn away from this. This is not what God wants for you. This is only going to end badly for you. And through God, God uh, leads Jeremiah to tell his people over and over and over again, if they do not repent, if they do not turn away, if they do not forsake the worship of these false gods, I am going to bring down judgment upon them and it will not be pretty. And towards the beginning of the book, Jeremiah opens his heart for us and he allows us to see this in Jeremiah chapter eight. In verse 18, I love the way the New Living Translation so accurately and clearly conveys this. It says this, Jeremiah is crying back to God and he says, my grief is beyond healing. My heart is broken 
Verse 21, he goes on to say, I hurt with the hurt of my people. I mourn and I am overcome with grief. Jeremiah is coming back to God and he's having this conversation with God and he's saying, God, I am broken. My heart is shattered. It is torn to pieces. I, I hurt with the hurt of my people and I am overcome. I am overwhelmed with grief. Jeremiah is saying, God, my heart has been broken. Now you might hear that and go, well, that doesn't really sound fun. I mean, you know, of all the things that I can think to pray, I'm not really sure that being broken, I mean, so far you've not won me over, preacher man. I mean, I kind of prefer my days to be kind of nice. I kind of prefer when I don't have conflict with people. My, my days driving into the office are so much better when I'm not cut off in traffic and somebody tells me which, which number I am on the pecking order of things. I love it when I'm at work and my boss, my boss, of course, none of the people that work at our church, they would never do that, but except, except sometimes I'm sure they do. They're the ones that are laughing. I love it when my boss comes in and says, high five, great job on the project that you spent so much time working on. Good job, that's awesome. And my coworkers, they enjoy spending time. I like it when my days are free and easy and carefree and I can go home and pillow my head at night and go, good golly, today was just absolutely, absolutely splendid. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Your goodness and favor just rests upon me. Everybody loves me and even likes me. And if that's you, can I just tell you, I also prefer that. The people who know me well might question that because I have at times been known to um, lean into conflict. At times, my wife would tell you that I perhaps, on rare occasions, create conflict I prefer for my days and my life to be free and easy as well. And so it causes me to ask the question, what, what, if this is how we would prefer our life to be and what Jeremiah is talking about is pain and agony and overwhelming grief and a heart that's shattered and broken, then why would anybody pray this prayer? And I just have a question for you. What if, What if our greatest blessings came from our greatest breakings? What if? Could it be that perhaps that that sometimes the great things that God wants for our lives, the great things that God has in store for us, that in order for us to be able to be prepared to receive them, to enjoy them, to be able to get to the point where we can experience them, is it possible that it might be necessary for God to break us in some ways so that we can be the types of people that we would need to be in order to be able to experience and appreciate the blessings? I know for me, I've certainly found that to be true, but I prefer to be comfortable. I prefer to be convenient and I don't like pain. In fact, none of us really like pain. 
really pain herein is really where the problem lies. In fact, I would take it a step further that it's not just that we don't like pain, but at least for us in 21st century America, I believe that if we were to, if we were to be from another planet and come in and survey 21st century Americans, I believe there'd be a lot of things that they would say about us. But one of the things that I believe would be most prominent is that we live and we operate with a belief, with a conviction that it is our right and that we deserve to live a life that is absent of pain. There's a whole lot of indicators that would cause me to think that. Our medicine cabinets being one of them. Our liquor cabinets being another. Our refrigerators being another. The way that we often complain about things on social media being another. How remarkably, let me talk to the Christians for a second, like how remarkably thin-skinned we are. I heard a pastor say, I wish I could take credit for this, but I can't. I heard a pastor say this a couple months ago when I was at a conference, like, yo, you have the Holy Spirit of the living God dwelling inside of you. Sit down, shut up. You're going to be okay. We don't like pain. We are pain averse. In fact, pain has become a four-letter word that we try to avoid at all costs. And I'm no different. I love comfort and convenience. It's Memorial Day weekend. There's some people going on some trips. How many of y'all got some sort of plan of doing something other than work this summer? This is class participation. You can raise your hand, right? Some of y'all at some point are planning on doing something other than work this summer. Some of y'all crazy folk can go do something called camping. Now listen, there are two types of camping. There's the right way and the stupid way. Now some of y'all think about going camping or taking a trip and y'all like to do this thing called hiking. You know what hiking is? Hiking is a decision that you make to start walking. I don't know where we're going. Following a trail. Where's the trail lead? I don't know. How long are we going to be gone? Who knows? But I've got my walking sticks. Why do I have this backpack on? Because you don't know how long you're going to be gone. You've got food that's nasty. Why we obsess over going to places where we know we're staying overnight on a camping or hiking trip and we obsess over bringing like the most God-awful, like God didn't create that. I don't know who created that, but he wouldn't even eat that. And then you get to a spot and you go, that's enough. Let's put our tent up right here. Uneven, rocky ground. This is going to be awesome. We're going to get a solid two and a half hours of sleep. It's going to be great. We're going to wake up tomorrow angry and upset, and then we're going to look outside and convince ourselves, this is a great idea. <gasps> oh, look at that. That's beautiful. That's the stupid way to do it. You know the right way to go camping? With a comfortable bed, an air conditioner, and a bathrobe. With food that you ate that didn't come from a can that was made in the 70s. Using actual utensils that don't, Stick with you. Listen, I love comfort and convenience. That's the reason why I don't really love camping. 
if I can go camping in the right environment, I'm all in. I love comfort and convenience, but can I tell you something that I've learned about me? I have never been motivated to do anything of significance because I was too comfortable or too convenienced. Nothing of any meaning or significance in my life has ever been accomplished or attempted because I sat back and go, you know, I'm just so comfortable right now and I've just got all the conveniences of the world. I better get up and do something about this. It's just wrong. See, I'd be willing to go so far as to say that actually nobody, you've never been motivated to do something because you were so comfortable and everything was so convenient. Pain is necessary for motivation. Pain is oftentimes the first domino to fall that leads us to take action. I want you to think back on your life and think about when you made a decision, you resolved to do something. I would be willing to bet that there was some pain that you felt that led you to get up and do something. It's Memorial Day weekend. We think about our nation. That's certainly been true of our nation at times. The day was December 7th, 1941. The Japanese military apparatus has just completed a very dangerous and very bold attack on the naval base of Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. World War II has been going on for two and a half years when Germany decided to invade Poland. And the next day, Great Britain and France responded and said, well, you invade them, we're invading you. President FDR has spent the last two and a half years trying to lead America to prepare for war. He's been trying to negotiate and convince Congress, we need to start making preparations to go to war. But Congress keeps saying no. The reason why Congress keeps saying no is because the American people, 90% of the American population believes it is a wrong decision to go to war. Instead, they prefer neutrality and isolation. Congress seeing this, instead of making preparations to go to war, Congress is increasingly decreasing the budget for the military, effectively decreasing our ability to protect or go to war as a nation. Not only this, Congress has also refused to engage and join in the League of Nations, which was like the OG UN before the UN was ever thought of. But on December 7th, 1941, when 2,400 service members died at this surprise attack, Americans felt pain. And in response to this pain, American sentiment flipped overwhelmingly almost overnight where 97% of Americans said, we must go to war. This isn't just true in our national history. This is also true in our Christian faith history. Think about some of the the people that we know of in the Old Testament. Think of Moses. Moses was motivated by pain. Moses was a Jewish man who was sitting high and mighty in the Egyptian house when he saw one of his countrymen be abused by an Egyptian military personnel. He felt that pain. He responded to that pain by killing that Egyptian. 
That was the wrong move. He then spends the next several decades in in isolation in the wilderness when God shows up and encounters him through a burning bush and he speaks to the pain and he says, Moses, you are the one that I've chosen to go and deliver my people. I want you to go back to the most powerful man in the world and tell him now is the time for you to let my people go. Think about David. David felt pain. He was given the task of by his father, Jesse, to go to the front lines. The Israelites were at war with the Philistines and they were encamped on opposing uh, hillsides of a valley. David comes with food and other, other supplies for his brothers. And while he's there, he sees this giant of a man named Goliath come down the hill and begin to bark out blasphemy and mocking and making fun of not just the Israelite army, but making fun of their God. And David felt the pain of his God being mocked. And when everybody else saw a man that was too big to fight, David saw a man that was too big to miss. He said, hold on a second, let me get my slingshot and I'll grab a couple stones, I'll take care of it. Think about Esther. Esther was a Jewish woman that nobody really knew she was a Jew. She was queen to King Ahasuerus. The king had a um, a wicked servant named Haman who hated the Jews. You wanna talk about racism? He hated, every time he saw a Jew, his his response was murder. So Haman comes up with a plan. He's going to trick the king to having all of the Jewish people in the kingdom murdered. Esther, being a Jew, hears about this. She's one of the king's many queens. And Esther takes it upon herself and does something that would have been absolutely unprecedented and unheard of in her age. She approaches the king because this was a time when the king had many wives. And it was kind of one of those, you only spoke when spoken to situations. And the queen comes up to the king and says, I'd like to throw a banquet. After a series of banquets, she builds up the courage to say, my king, are you aware of what is happening to your in your kingdom? Are you aware that there's a man named Haman who's trying to kill all of the Jews and you know that I'm a Jew? Which means that there's a man who is in your service that is trying to kill one of your wives. She was motivated by pain. When we pray this prayer, we will be broken and it will hurt. And you will feel pain. And I know that none of us like pain, but we need to understand today that pain is an incredibly useful tool that our God will use at times in our lives to motivate us to action. What kind of pain does God use? Well, just pain. There's all kinds of pain. There's physical pain. There's emotional pain. There's relational pain. There's financial pain. There's pain that we feel in our pride and our ego when when it gets attacked. Different ways, pain in these different areas and aspects of our life, at times God will allow pain. He will at times even inflict pain. And if you will be willing to pray, God, will you break me? 
then under the careful hands of the Holy Spirit, God will allow pain to come into your life, not for the purpose of destroying you, but for the purpose of motivating you. I have found this to be true in my life. It was 2014 and I was a student pastor and um, I was a part of a church that had about 3,000 people in weekly attendance and I was leading the student ministry and as the church, uh, you know, the, the metrics and the graph for the church went, well, you're up and to the right is that way, went up and to the right, the student ministry went down and things weren't going well. And multiple conversations by my boss, hey, things aren't going well, things aren't going well, things aren't going well. Until finally, at the end of 2014, my boss came to me and said, Jaron, things aren't going well. And if you don't make a change, I'm gonna have to. There was a whole sequence of events that took place around about the same time. And I remember going home, it was late December in 2014, and God had finally broken me. And I wasn't broken because the student ministry wasn't growing. I wasn't broken because my boss said that he might have to fire me or move me into a different role. I wasn't broken. All of those were, 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 were things that led to the breaking. I finally got to a point where I was broken and I remember exactly what I prayed. I remember exactly where I was standing when I was, I, I felt none of this was going well. And I said, God, I need you to do something in me. I need you to break me and tear me down and whatever was required because here was my recognition. Here was my motivation because I finally got to the point where I wasn't concerned about how people associated anything with my name. I was mostly concerned by the reality that within a 15 mile radius of where I stood when I prayed this prayer, there were 20,000 teenagers getting ready to go to bed that night and thousands upon thousands of them did not have a relationship with Christ would mention that they were gonna die and go to hell. And I said, God, over my dead body, whatever you need to do to me, whatever it is that you've been trying to do to get my attention over the last two years, God, I give you permission to break me. I wasn't just broken by the spiritual reality of where they were going without Christ. God began to flood in my memories the the hundreds of conversations that I had had with students in my seven years in ministry to that point of students who had been molested and abused, students who had uh, uh, alcoholic or addicted parents, students that were growing up in broken homes, students that were growing up and didn't even know who their mom or who their dad was, students that were living in a world of overwhelming expectation that, that were trying to figure out how to measure up and just meet anybody's expectation so that they could have somebody in their life that would tell them, you matter, I love you, I care for you, and I want the best for you, not just what you can do for me. God broke me and it hurt. For about two days, Jessica and I just, just wept. What if, what if our greatest blessings come from our greatest breakings? See, here's what God did in response to that breaking. God 
God broke me and addressed some things and fixed some things in me. And I don't have time to tell all of that story. But God began to motivate me and point me in a direction. And over the course of the next two and a half years, literally hundreds of students came to know Christ as their savior. Students engaged in biblical community, students engaged with a spiritual mentor in their life that they could reasonably and faithfully rely upon to be able to be connected to on a consistent weekly basis. A mentor who would from time to time text them, how can I pray for you this week? You can do it. God loves you. All of heaven is behind you. Not only that, I got an opportunity to be able to minister to about 100 to 150 different volunteers that that were trying to figure out, God, why am I here? What's my purpose here? And God began to show me that part of my role was to help connect them to their purpose. And even beyond that, I had an opportunity over those two and a half to three years to be able to either hire or lead or mentor young, highly gifted, highly motivated followers of Jesus that were trying to figure out, God, are you calling me to serve in the church? You calling me to lead in the church? And many of them are now still serving in prominent positions in their churches. And those that aren't are still actively engaged in loving and serving their Lord, loving and serving their family and loving and serving their church. That's not because of what I did. It's because of what God did when he broke me. And the most unexpected part of the entire thing that I had, it was not even on my radar. It wasn't even on my mind. It wasn't even anywhere in like the vicinity of anything I'd ever thought about, ever dreamed of, ever prayed about, ever talked about when I prayed that prayer in December of 2014, but God knew what my next step was and God knew if I was ever going to be the man to plant and lead Discover Church in August of 2018, he needed to break me in December of 2014. And the journey through that whole process has been so rewarding. There's been so much fruit. I've seen people's lives impacted and changed, not by me, but by the spirit of God. Can I also tell you, there's been wounds, there's been damages, there's been hurt along the way. I have inadvertently and unintentionally hurt people. People have inadvertently and unintentionally hurt me. But through the process, God has remained faithful. And God has showed me, I'm breaking you for a purpose. My prayer is continually that God would break me. At times, I can earn a little bit of a reputation of being stubborn. At times, I can earn a little bit of a reputation of being kind of a bull in a china shop. Sometimes with our staff and with our board, at times I can, I can be a little aggressive. I can be a little forceful and, and, and it doesn't make, it doesn't make it okay to be a jerk. It doesn't make it okay necessarily to do any of those things. But, but the reason why I, I, I sometimes have a little bit of insensitivity to the things that are happening around me is because that there's something inside of me that God has broken me. God's put a sense of urgency in my mind not to build a church, not to say, Hey, I want as many people as possible to know Jernigan and know Discover Church. I want everybody who knows a friend who goes to another church to say, your church sucks and your pastor's awful. You need to come to mine because mine's way better. Can I tell you, that's not my motivation. 
I'm not trying to position this that I'm, I'm trying to provide some kind of excuse as to, to maybe sometimes why I'm insensitive or maybe sometimes why I'm, I'm hard to, 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 to be around sometimes. I'm just trying to tell you that there are things that God is still breaking me over. I'm still broken about the fact that there are people that come to this church on a regular basis and you connect in a small group. Maybe you serve on a dream team. You come and you listen to the preaching and you think that you're a Christian because you show up and you do those things, but your life has never been changed by the transformative power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and you've never fully surrendered your life to be his child. My heart is broken over the single people in our church that long to have a spouse, that long to have a family. My, my heart is broken over the people and the broken marriages in our church that, that when you said, I do, you didn't think it was going to be like this, but it is. And my heart breaks for you to be able to experience the family and the life and the marriage that God wants for you to have. My heart is broken over the people who are stuck in the bondage of addiction, who are stuck in the slaves and the, the slavery and the shackles of some stronghold that the enemy has in your life because you've never yet been able to experience what it means to be set free by the power of Christ, to realize that you don't have to do those things. You don't have to be a slave to sin. You don't have to be bound and shackled to that addiction, that in Christ you are already set free. My heart is broken over the teenagers that are growing up in our community that have one layer of expectation of their parents and of their teachers and of their boss and of their coach and of their family members and of their grandparents. And while they're dealing with the pressure of everybody's expectation, they are also dealing with the incredible pain of the, the, the nastiness and the ugliness of how students are so ugly to one another in person, in text message, on social media. And students believe that the best option is maybe I just should and be here. My heart is broken over the condition of our city. I'm not trying to portray that I'm some high and mighty, that I'm better than anybody else because I think this way or that I have, it gives me license or permission to be a jerk. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just telling you that my heart is broken. And when you pray for God to break you, then you will be broken. And you're not just going to shake it off like a sad commercial. It's going to stick to you like napalm and it's going to burn inside of you and it's going to motivate you to do something. When we get to the New Testament, we meet a man named the Apostle Paul and probably the most famous Christian other than Jesus that ever lived. And in Philippians chapter three, he, he, he talks about all of the things that, were, that used to be important to him. He talks about all of the things that, that mattered. He was a Pharisee. He says he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was circumcised on the eighth day. According to the law, he had more zeal than anybody else. Basically what he's doing, he's running down his rap sheet of all the things that would make him a great Pharisee. And what he says at the end of that, of all the things that he did before he met Jesus, he comes to this conclusion in Philippians chapter three. He says, but all of those things, all of the accolades, all of the promotions, all of the awards, all the trophies, all of the prestige, all of the things that people thought of when they thought about me, they are all nothing in comparison to Christ. He actually uses the word that is literally translated, it is all like dung, like poop, like caca. It is worthless to me. 
I don't want it. I don't want to be around it. I don't want to be associated with it. When people think of me, they think of that. And I don't want anybody to think of me when they think of that. What happens in in Romans chapter nine is he he records this thing for us. And and I I gotta be honest with you, I I wish that I could be where Paul is. I don't know that I'm here. Let me rephrase that. I'm not here. But what Paul records in Romans chapter nine is, is an image, portrayal of a man who has been broken by Christ. And because of his brokenness, he's been motivated to start churches. He's been motivated to write letters. He's been motivated to lay his life down so that other people can know Christ. And this is what he says in Romans chapter nine, verse two. He says, but that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. He's saying, my heart is broken all the time. It never stops. I'm miserable. I'm I'm in pain. I'm in agony. My heart is broken. Paul, why are you broken? He says in verse three, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. You know what he's saying? He's saying, If it meant that my people could know Christ, I would willingly remove my relationship from Christ so that they could know him. I would willingly no longer be a child of God. I would willingly endure the suffering and the misery and the torment of living another day without Christ. I would willingly subject myself to the misery of eternity in hell if it meant that my people that I love, that I care about, if they could trust in Christ. That's a man who has been broken. And you pray this prayer going to hurt and you will feel miserable and when you do you're going to want to embrace that why because what Paul is teaching with his life and in some kind of way I'm trying to teach with my life that it is better to hurt with a purpose than to live without one. And when God breaks you and you feel the pain and you feel the misery and you feel the agony and you feel the hurt, it is the motivation of God to get you moving in a direction. The pain of being broken by God has the power to to break through the callous nature of our hearts. It has the power to motivate us past our apathetic actions. The the power of the pain of being broken by God has the ability to, to, to get us up and to get us moving. It has the ability to redirect us when we're going in the wrong direction. The pain of being broken by God has the power to be able to reveal and to show and to guide and to lead you so that you can know that your life really does matter. That when you die, when you you lay in your grave, that it will have mattered that you were here.
And we celebrate Memorial Day as a nation because we are grateful and we are thankful for the men and women who have died in service to their country. And we enjoy, we bask in the freedom, we bask in the fruits, the, the, the ability and the freedom to disagree, the, the ability to, to know that somebody who is out there that doesn't agree with anything that I think or believe about what's going on in this nation, in this world, that person was died for just like I was and they live in this country with the freedom to be able to think and to process and to vote and to express and determine what they see and how they see the world. And I'm just curious if it might be possible for the church of Jesus Christ, the true believers, to pray this prayer and say, God, you were broken for me. So God, I want to be broken for you. What if, what if the greatest blessings of your life come from the other side of you being broken? And what if you were so bold to be willing to pray this prayer so that you might see that it is better to hurt with a purpose than to live without one. Break my heart, God. Break my heart, God. Break my heart. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.